This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. We have a lot of things to talk about. Yet again, breaking and not so breaking news, yet another international non-governmental human rights organization has determined that Israel is practicing apartheid. This is Amnesty International, one of the foremost leading human rights organizations in the world, has determined, based on its analysis, that Israel is practicing apartheid. So we'll be reviewing that report. We're going to be talking also a little bit about the State Department's action to or or inaction, I should say, to take any uh, action against the murder of an 80-year-old Palestinian-American man at the hands of the apartheid uh, uh, military of of Israel. We'll talk a little bit about that. We may be at the brink of war with Russia, and if we have time before we get to our interview that you did, I want to talk about Ambassador Greenfield's statement to the United Nations today, which I thought was very interesting. But in the meantime, we're going to be uh, listening and watching uh, a, a really great interview he did with uh, the Israeli anti-apartheid activist Shavit Sanai. She's going to be talking a little bit about Israeli weapons manufacturing factories in the UK that have been shut down in an act of uh, really great activism in the UK. We should be so lucky here in the United States, right? So a uh, lot of great stories to talk about today. That's tomorrow. right, Jess. This is another bad day for Israel. And, well, and, these, isn't and, a bad and day. these bad days keep uh, accelerating and, and uh, basically piling up. But uh, Israel and its surrogates uh, are in denial. And we'll talk about how come they, they remain in denial, even though three major international organizations, two Israeli NGOs, all start, started using the term apartheid, and, and yet they, they are in, in denial. And of course, our guest, uh, Dr. Stavit uh, Sinai, anti-apartheid Israeli activist living in Berlin. She participated in the uh, demonstrations that led to a uh, the roof takeover of a UAV engines factory, which is owned by Elbit Systems. And this is one of Israel's largest arms manufacturers and purveyor of war crimes in Palestine and 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 beyond that, and by the way, uh, this this Elbit has like nine or ten factories in the UK alone, and others th- right. throughout throughout the world. So let's uh, watch and and listen to Stav- Dr. Stavit Sinai. There is a small village with four pubs called Shenstone in the West Midlands in England. Sounds uh, very quaint, but it but it's not as it has a factory called UAV Engines, which is owned by Elbit Systems, one of Israel's largest arms manufacturers and purveyor of war crimes in the occupied Palestinian territories and beyond. Last uh, year in February, activists from Palestine Action climbed on the roof of an Elbit's UAV Engines factory, smashed the windows, and prevented the site uh, from opening. Several of them uh, were arrested, but uh, recently the UK government prosecutors dropped criminal charges against a a member of the direct action group only one day before trial. 
Joining us to discuss this and more is Dr. Stavit Sinai, an Israeli anti-apartheid activist based in Berlin, where she teaches philosophy at a community college. She's also the author of the book, Sociological Knowledge and Collective Identity, which is about Israeli sociology and settler colonialism. Welcome again to Arab Talks, Tavit. Thank you so much, Jamal. Very happy to be here. So for someone, uh, let's explain, for someone who doesn't know anything about these Elbit uh, factories, uh, please give us uh, a little bit of background on what happened in the UK and why activists have been targeting uh, Elbit. Okay, so Elbit is um, Israel's biggest uh, weapon manufacturer. Manufacturer, it's a private company, um, and it is quite successful um, in terms of profit because it uh, promotes and markets its uh, weaponries, uh, mainly drones, killer drones, uh, because uh, it is uh, tested. It tests its weapon on Palestinian population. Uh, with every cycle of war on Gaza, new tools of, of destructions are being um, tested. So this is why it's so successful, because uh, it's, it's able to um, market these weapons as battle-proofed. Um, Israel is um, one of the biggest military industries in the world. I think it's the fifth biggest military industry. Um, and this is the key to understand, uh, understanding why it's so um, extend, such an extended uh, military in industry. So um, as Israeli, I mean, I was, um, I, I took action along with Tony Balkan and um, who was, um, we've been, we share some um, activist history together. So we went um, to um, factory in Oldham it was last May uh, when Israel decided or Israel went on another onslaught on, on the Gaza population. And we felt that it is quite urgent to, to take action, specifically against this weapon factory where they um, manufacture drones in Oldham. And um, we, we actually, yeah, we actually got arrested uh, trying to break in. Uh, to the factory and um, the whole, um, if may I can explain further that the whole scope, the whole um, um, goal of these actions is um, is basically to go and, and stop uh, manufacturing of those killer drones um, and to dismantle the industrial process by, by means such as going on top of the roof, going on top of the factory and then the factory has to close down um, so we basically are able to halt uh, manufacturing of these weapons. And uh, I think as Israelis, we who are anti-apartheid, who are anti-Zionists, uh, we feel the need to, to take action and especially, I mean, to take action against uh, the crime against humanity that Israel is conducting. Uh, we have a sp special, like, I mean, a great sense of duty to resist those um, uh, horrible, abominable crimes, and um, the the proper means is basically direct. The proper and efficient means is basically direct action, civil disobedience in the form of direct action, um, where us as citizens are basically able to stop um, the the manufacturing of death. 
Well, this marks the, I think, the third major legal victory uh, for you guys since uh, December. The first trial ended in acquittal. It seems that the magistrate was convinced by the three activists' uh, argument that the damage they had caused to Elbeth's Chenstone factory near Birmingham was proportionate in order to prevent a greater war crime in Palestine. He found uh, all three not guilty. And earlier uh, this month, Palestine Action succeeded in forcing Elbeth to sell one of its uh, 10, I think, UK factories, nine or 10 UK factories, nine remain open, right? Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and this is a great victory, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think there is, I think everybody who is involved in Palestine action still celebrating this news is like for for me personally, it's um, as an activist, I've been an activist since my very early 20s. um, So uh, more than a decade now. (laughs) And uh, this is one of the biggest achievements I've experienced as as an activist. Uh, And this is due to, I mean, the the fact that we've managed to shut down the Oldham factory as a collective effort that is based on direct action and not in the form of appealing to the authorities to ask for permission for a demonstration or to ask for for consideration. These methods are, are they're perhaps proper, but they are not effective. And um, um, having uh, taken action in the form of um, of breaking the law, this is actually breaking the law proper. Uh, but um, there is certain situations um, where it is um, that you have to break the law, um, like you have to take action. You cannot. We we cannot. Uh, coming to terms with the fact that we have Elbit manufacturing weapons uh, all across Europe, by the way, it's here in Berlin uh, hmm. that it's happening. Well, uh, my there. next my next question was I was going to ask you why was England uh, chosen by Elbit? I mean, I mean, is this something that the British government is involved with? Is it something that the British government is invested in? Um, I cannot tell you why exactly they choose to manufacture there in England. I think it's based purely on on on, on uh, profit i think it's profitable for the, i mean england ha- england has um um uh, industrial infrastructure it has history of industrial um right. uh, uh, there there are factories there there is workforce and it chooses to manufacture there and by the way it exports its weaponry all across the world to to mainly to um to oppressing uh, kashmir population so the crimes Israel is conducting in, in 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 Palestine are not exclusive to Palestine, but it's it's kind of have has a, a wider global effect um, on the damage it inflicts upon the entire human population. Um, I was trying to I was trying to read yeah. about the um, I guess the uh, citizens where these factories of those towns or villages where these factories are. Uh, put in place and and uh, some were against what you've done and some were supporting it some were kind of saying well well these factories provide jobs you know to for the village but a lot of people also supported your action actually this thank you so 
actually this specific factory where we um which we targeted in Oldham has a history of resisting crimes against humanity for example in the times of slavery um workers in that specific factor factory they refused to cooperate uh, to process cotton that was um picked up by slaves so the the the, the area the region has a history of resisting um crimes on on such scale so um yeah for sure some people would um would disapprove but as uh, as activists or as revolutionaries um as dissidents it is not a, it is not my concern um my concern is to stop um is to destroy is to smash to dismantle to destroy the means of productions uh the means of production by which israel facilitate crimes um and um if somebody i mean if it has um negative consequences um to somebody it's well palestinian lives um are uh, the top uh, priority here how ha- how has this been uh, playing out in the israeli media I don't think it has any cover in Israeli media I think I I believe there is a a complete um I think Israeli media is completely overlooking uh, the this entire this this achievement or the fact that it's it's um factories are are being targeted at the moment there hasn't been I haven't seen I mean I read Israeli media every day I haven't seen any uh covering but but yet again our actions are not are not receiving any 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 covering uh, whatsoever so it's kind of it's a non item but um it's a non item but i think the shutting down elbit factory is something historical i i truly i truly see it in this way this is an historic achievement palestine action is making history and um the goal is to to finish the job and to continue continue the hard work people there is like massive mobilization efforts of people um and uh continuing to extending that that activity in order to shut the rest of the factories and specifically in Oldham there were there were 36 activists being arrested so people are putting themselves on the line they're putting their bodies um their um uh, criminal records their good names on the line um uh, but it's it's been it's been proven quite successful We let me be, let me be clear yeah. here uh, you are not stranger to controversy or getting arrested because last time i've had you on the show you got arrested in germany for demonstrating against a, a visiting i guess israeli uh, uh minister Uh, and 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 now i mean you made it all the way to to england yeah yeah we're uh, <laughs> international <laughs> going international yeah i mean um getting involved uh seeing the inside of a prison cell is not something that should be uh foreign to any activist um i think this is why it's been so effective uh because people were people were taking that risk they were putting themselves their bodies on the line while while getting arrested getting arrested can be very violent you cannot predict sometimes you cannot predict the reaction of the police 
they are not to be trusted, of course. Um, so, yeah, um, getting arrested, spending a night in jail, going to court proceeding procedure, procedures, um, getting getting uh, in conflict with the authorities is a part of the job. It's a part of what being an activist is. If you want, like, if one wants to uh, uh, inflict like an effective action, it means it involves getting into uh, seeing the the prison cell from within. And I personally, I think, I think that's the only way. I think people should like. It's not about talking in social like rare, like tweeting or writing stuff on social media. It's about putting yourself on the line, being able to to make a sacrifice. So this kind of activity is sacrificial, if you <laughs> if you can say this is a sacrificial action, and um, it it works actually. Like Roni and I were, we were seeing what the uh, our our comrades. Uh, in the UK we're doing and we we just like very instinctively told each other okay we we gotta go and um, Palestine Action some of its members they were coming they were like we were in contact they came here to Berlin in order to participate in in our trial with the Humboldt case so this is how the connections uh, were were built up and we've seen their works we were really influenced uh, really inspired by what they were doing and we say okay we're coming you're yeah. definitely, you're definitely, you and uh, and, and Rani uh, are very dedicated. Uh, and for those who ha- who haven't seen your previous interview, you know, just again, you're an Israeli uh, who's anti-apartheid. Uh, you, I, I guess, you you served in the Israeli army before you kind of changed your whole perspective. Maybe you should tell us a little bit about that because I want to ask you next because you're an anti-apartheid Israeli and this is something that should be uh, good news to your ears. Amnesty International, you know, the widely respected human rights group plans to release, I think just within the next 24 hours, I don't know if you if you read that, a report accusing Israel of committing apartheid and describing its existence as a Jewish state as deprivation, uh, deprivation of Palestinians' basic rights. Of course, Israeli uh, officials uh, on, on Sunday denounced the report as anti-Semitism. I mean, that's uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I would have to take a look at it. Um, I'm very always uh, kind of skeptical when a big NGO is... Um, well, this is not the first time. I mean, last time we talked about it, Human Rights Watch issued its report, which made a lot of uh, you know news headlines in, in the media. The Israeli human rights organization, Beth Salem, also uh, now uses the word apartheid. And now... Amnesty International, I think, uh, they're recipients of uh, the Nobel Peace Prize uh, a few years ago. So I think that's a big deal. Don't you think so? Uh, I, I, I'm very critical. I'm very always very, very skeptical. So I would, I would have to read it on my own. Um, but I, I have to tell you in this regards, most of the NGOs and like official organizations that are dealing with uh, with uh, with the subject, with with the matter, and they usually apply the term apartheid only to what is being known as the minor occupation, the minor apartheid in '67. Whereas Israel committed 
the crime of apartheid within the within the whole land, from the river to the sea, even um, specifically in the 48 region where I'm from. Well, we've, re we've recently, they, I think it also made headlines. We've seen what Israel has been doing to the Bedouins in, in the Negev, right? So that's within yeah. 1948. Yeah, and it applies its apartheid even beyond its territory. That means that my friends here who are, who are Germans, who, who carry German passport and also have Palestinian origins, still don't have the same rights as I have. When, for example, for example, coming to visit, or so apartheid is 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 applied even beyond the unofficial borders of of apartheid Israel. Um, but I think it's not. I have to emphasize something very crucial. Um, it is not the um, policies of Israel's that uh, we are criticizing. We're not criticizing occupation in, in 67 or settlements or even what's happening with the Bedouins. These are all hor horrendous crimes. But our critique, let's say Ronnie, Ronnie's and, and my critique, does not, is not about that. It's about it's not about the policies. It's about the essence of the entire colonialist, Zionist, supremacist project. And this is something very crucial to understand. It's not about if Israel would change one of its policies and would behave better that we would accept its legitimacy. It is not a legitimate entity. It never had legitimacy. It was never a democracy. It is a, a, um, a racist supremacist state that is, uh, that is built on power, on force, on violence, and in, with intention of, of maintaining that violence, with intention of maintaining its uh, supremacist demographic uh, project. And this is always a part, this is all uh, these horrendous crimes that are happening within the framework of trying to basically eliminate Palestinian population just based on, on its uh, cultural or uh, uh, just being defined as a different group consists the crime of apartheid, it answers all the um, essential criteria of what the apartheid crime is, according to the Rome Statute. And it is also very important to remember it is this crime is on par with genocide. So this is no petty crime we are talking about. And um, very important to emphasize, it's not about the occupation, it's about the entire apartheidist project that Israel is uh, conducting not 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 just from sixty seven, but but from its very inception. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I get I get that, but not too many people will. I mean, just to be, uh, I don't have to use the word pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, you know, seeing an Israel the Israeli society accepting. I mean, I see more and more maybe of the youth talking about apartheid, but 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 actually accepting the premise that the whole state was built on supremacy, et cetera. And I mean, I mean, I don't see that going anywhere within the Israeli society. I mean, you, you yeah. don't see, you don't see these little advances like now on the international level that, that the, that actually, you know, Amnesty International is using that word and, and Human Rights Watch, that's not going to advance 
kind of the outlook for or the future outlook? Look, so uh, when it comes to Israeli society in itself, I really have no hope. Um, the change would not come from within. This is one of the reasons I have also left the the waves of racism um, and and uh, brutal brutalism were overwhelming, and the entire Israeli society supports it, take part takes part of it. Every family has at least one family member that is a part of the military or uh, security uh, industry. So they are all highly invested within the crime. So they all profit from this crime. Um, and the, the hope would not come from within. It would only come from the outside with international pressure, with BDS, which is extremely important campaign. Um, and we also see Israel is doing its utmost to in order to suppress uh, people supporting BDS, um, which just goes to show that uh, it is effective. And uh, it, it, if, it, if Israel wants it down, then it must be effective. Um, yeah, so we have new frameworks today that we didn't have in the past um, to exert pressure on the state of Israel. And um, we have to we have to continue. We have to continue struggling, even if we don't see, even if there's no hope, we have to continue. And uh, even if there's no successes, we have to persist. We have to continue no matter what. Um, on the way now, we also see some success. So that's quite, quite reassuring now with the shutting down of the Elbit factory. Uh, we've cost tremendous, I mean, Palestine action have cost tremendous amount of uh, damages measured in millions, millions of pounds, many days of work lost. They're going to have to now shut down their factory and relocate, maybe not. So this is this is a huge bearing on this industry. And that's, I think, Palestine action are really paving the way forward. They really do. Stavit Sinai, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> That's the voice in the face of Dr. Stavit Sinai, uh, uh, Israeli anti-apartheid activist living in Berlin right now, talking about this uh, tremendous and really amazing campaign uh, carried out in the UK to basically confront and shut down uh, some factories that were basically manufacturing uh, weapons of war for the apartheid regime against any innocent uh, civilians, not just in Palestine, but uh, many other places too. Very compelling, Jamal. That was really very compelling to hear what she had to say. Well, the interesting thing, Jess, is that several activists uh, were arrested and, and then recently uh, the uh, British magistrate dropped charges. The last, this is like a third case against uh, right. against the activists. And recently, the magistrate dropped charges and pretty much sided with the activists, saying that their action, even though you know some of the actions violated the law, meaning you know occupying a building, etc., that had a higher purpose by stopping a, a more violent crime or you know stopping basically a manufacturer, war yeah, war crimes. So that was a big blow 
to Albert Systems and, and the Israeli government. And the interesting thing about it, the Israeli media has been ignoring this. The well, American media has totally ignored this. So it's really headlines in the UK and in Europe, but they're trying to keep it, you know, under wrap. Well, Jamal, this is part of the uh, Israeli-American Hasbara campaign, you know, that the Israeli and American media are silent on these uh, aggressive actions. Um, I will say, though, what's interesting, and this is somewhat related, is that there was an expose in the Washington Post about the company that manufactured the Pegasus software that's been responsible for spying. It led to the death of Jamal Khashoggi uh, directly. Uh, it's also been uh, this Israeli uh, spyware has been sent to many regimes, uh, despotic regimes that are using it against journalists and uh, opponents of, of various regimes. But interestingly, Jamal, um, this has also been used against American uh, 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 ambassadors and, and American uh, diplomats throughout the, throughout the world. And here, the Washington Post has uh, printed this expose, Jamal, but have we heard anything from the State Department? Have we heard anything from the U.S. government about this country, this so-called ally, the apartheid regime, which has a history of spying on the United States, and now a history of developing this spyware, in addition, that has uh, spied on our own diplomats. So this, this story about Elbit Systems and what's happening in the UK and the shutting down of the factories and the Pegasus software, when you say it's not a good day for the Israelis, I would say it's not a good year, it's not a good decade. And this is more and more evidence that the world continues to confront about not just the apartheid practices, but its participation in the death of innocent civilians, not just in Palestine, but outside. But what do we say about an ally that spies spies uh, on the United With States? With friends Jamal? like this who needs enemies, that's what I would say. But here is the irony in it all, Jess. You said this wasn't, it, it, and it is not big news right here in this country, it wasn't big news also in Israel until the Israelis themselves discovered that the, their own government was using this software to spy on them. So now they are talking about it. Right. Well, Netanyahu apparently used it on some of his opponents when he was the prime minister. So, yeah, I think finally they're, they're taking notice in it. But, you know, this Pegasus software, Jamal, is very... It's when you dig deep into it, I want to recommend, you know, that our viewers and listeners take a look at this expose in the Washington Post. When you dig deep into it, the 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 reach of this software, its its impact, its ability to monitor and spy on you using your iPhone, it's very disturbing. Well, we've said and, it last uh, time, I think every, it beho it behooves every American official to check their phones, their cell phones. But I I kind of keep wanting to go back to this, Jamal, because you and I and Arab Talk are one of the few, if not the only news uh, news uh, presenting, you know, group in our in our podcast and our live broadcast here on KPOO. We're the only ones that are really talking about Pegasus, talking about Elbit systems. We're the only ones talking about this. And you're not going to hear anything about our next story, 
which is the fact that uh, Amnesty International, one of the foremost international human rights organizations in the world, and one of the oldest, together with Human Rights Watch, together with Beth Salem, has identified the apartheid regime of Israel as practicing apartheid yet again, Jamal. So what? how many... How many times do we have? How many have evidences? How many exactly? How many pieces of evidence <laughs> you need to submit? But you're absolutely right. Just Amnesty International, uh, it's widely respected. Just to remind our listeners, also it won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1977. Now right. we have looked at a copy of this report. Uh, it's officially is going. It's officially going to be released on Tuesday, and the Israeli government has been, with the help of its surrogates, have been asking Amnesty International not to release it. I haven't seen them doing this with Human Rights Watch. Of course, they, they, we, we saw the usual condemnation and accusation of anti-Semitism, etc. But now, I mean, we have basically a few hours to, 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 they're trying to stop, they're vehemently trying to stop Amnesty International from releasing it uh, uh, and and basically uh, in the report and we have some quotations here. It's accusing, of course, Israel of committing apartheid and describe, describing its existence as a Jewish state, as deprivation of Palestinians' basic rights. And the difference, this is very important, a very important point I want to make between Amnesty International's uh, report and Human Rights Report. Human Rights Report only talk, talks about the West Bank and the Gaza, talks yes. post-1967. Yes. yes. Amnesty, why, why are they freaking out about Amnesty International? Because it goes to the beginning, to, to the beginning of the state yes. of Israel. It's a 211-page yes. report, and it alleges widespread attack directed against Palestinians that amounts, and I'm quoting to the crimes against humanity of apartheid. And this is what I said, the uh, going, you know, like Amnesty International has condemned Israel many times. The most kind of like biggest and the most recent one was after the 2014 attack on Gaza. So they issued a, rep a report, but they didn't use the word apartheid. And, uh, and, then of, and, and of course, we, we've mentioned many times before there are two Israeli human rights organizations, the two largest, Yesh Eriyadin and, and Betselem. They also now have been using uh, apartheid. So now this comes kind of like two Israeli uh, NGOs exactly. and human rights organizations, Human Rights, rights Watch, and now uh, Amnesty International. Thanks. Can I add just one other thing, Jamal? Just that one, I found one minute. I read oh, for yeah. you the very important point that I was making because I wanted to make sure that I have the correct language. And this is what it says. Since its establishment in 1948, Israel has pursued an explicit policy of establishing and maintaining a Jewish demographic hegemony and maximizing its control over land to benefit Jewish Israelis while minimizing the number of Palestinians and restricting their rights and obstructing their ability to challenge this disposition. So that's kind of like the damning that's evidence. That's very strong. Well, I, I, I think it's an extremely strong statement. It probably goes further than Human Rights Watch and B'Tselem. But what I found interesting were also some quotes, Jamal, that didn't separate 
the claim and the determination and the conclusion of Israeli apartheid just in the occupied West Bank, but for Palestinians throughout historic Palestine. So I find that really compelling because they're saying apartheid is practiced not just amongst and you know Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza, but there's also a pattern and practice consistent with apartheid for Palestinians living in historic Palestine and what we refer to as 1948. And those are Palestine. Israeli so, citizens. There is exactly precisely Second class, Israeli third citizens. class, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, or or and including the the Bedouin villages and uh, Bedouin communities that we've reported on extensively here that they continue to uproot and ethnically cleanse uh, on a regular basis. So this I could see Jamal why uh, Amnesty International, the Israeli government, is trying to stop this report from coming out. It's damning. It's uh, it's biting. It's incisive. It is impossible, in my humble opinion, to uh, contradict in any uh, compelling way. Uh, and of course, the uh, just a spokesperson for Israel's foreign ministry called the report pure anti-Semitism <laughs> uh, that legitimizes attacks against Jews and accuses Amnesty International of a double. Standard, major Jewish-American groups condemned the report, calling it baseless and one-sided. And and by the well, way, Amnesty said that the report is the result of four years of research on Israeli law, zoning plans, government, military directives, and statements by Israeli diplomatic and evidence of violations of international human rights over past decades. They've done their homework. I mean, you're not talking about the fly-by-night organization. Exactly, Jamal. This is not a fly-by-night organization. They won the Nobel Peace Prize. But here's the thing that I love about how really, I'm trying to find the right word here, Jamal, how really stupid and ignorant the Israeli Hasbaras are. Because if they said nothing, you know, people might in general, find out some information about the Amnesty International report, but it, it could fly under the radar. The very fact that uh, the Israeli Hasbaristas are screaming at the top of their lungs is just going to do the opposite. So the Israelis never miss an opportunity to shoot themselves in the foot. They're going to do it again. Nobody buys the anti-Semitism claim against Amnesty International. It's as you said before, as I've said, when you level ant- claims of anti-Semitism like that, you do a great disservice and injustice to the real anti-Semitism that occurs on, you know, on a regular basis all over the world. So it's, it's disgusting that the Israeli government officials are claiming that Amnesty International is anti-Semitic. And, of course, it's going to bring even more attention to this report and, you know, that's thank you for the free advertising is what amnesty and, should be and saying here is to the, the thing, Israeli Jess, government. Uh, also, the topic of double standard. Well, I do happen to subscribe to Amnesty International feed on Twitter, and yeah. I can tell you, they've always condemning Egypt. You know, they uh, do for its violation of they human do. rights and many Arab countries. They always condemning Saudi Arabia. Always and and talking about apartheid. Uh, in in 2017, Amnesty International released a report that said Myanmar, Myanmar 
uh, treatment of the Rohingya minority amounts to apartheid. So they've also accused another country of apartheid. So they cannot say they're kind of being selective because that's also the, the two kind of line of defense that the Israeli officials, they use, they always say, you know, that's anti-Semitism. That's just kind of to totally shut you down. And then the other one is they say, oh, you're picking on Israel. What about this? The whataboutism that they always say what about that. It? What it doesn't make sense because the amnesty is an equal opportunity, uh, uh, you know, critic. And they have... And they have criticized oh, and elements I, I, of the Palestinian criticized elements of the Palestinian government too. And here is a funny thing, just uh, Israeli officials, and you can go to their Twitter feed. You could go to what Netanyahu said. You could go to any their foreign minister. They're always quoting Amnesty International when Amnesty criticizes Iran. They always like refer to it, always. but when Amnesty criticizes Israeli apartheid. Suddenly, their their tune cha changes. Yeah, well, this is why no one listens anymore to the Hasbaristas, Jamal. And the only thing, I mean, you know, when we talk about the marathon confronting apartheid, uh, the Israeli regime, the Israeli apartheid regime, when we're talking about this marathon race, we're winning this race. And we have Amnesty, we have Human Rights Watch, we have the international community. What we don't have are the, are the um, cowards within our own government, within the State Department, within the Congress, who are acting with cowardice, and many of whom no, are going to— currently mounting a, a defense for Israel. Exactly. The biggest defenders of the apartheid regime is the U.S. Congress and, and the State Department. They cower— at being called anti-Semitic and are going to cower to the Hasbaristas and the talking points of the apartheid regime. This will come home uh, 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 to roost against all of the people who were on the wrong side of history, Jamal, because as it turns out, the Israeli apartheid regime is on the wrong side of history. The U.S. Congress is on the wrong side of history. Our State Department and our uh, our executive branch, when it comes to confronting these apartheid practices, are on the wrong side of history. And this, I have to say this, Jamal, because it was so upsetting, again, talking about the double standard. You had our UN ambassador uh, speaking at the United Nations today, Ambassador Greenfield, who said in, you know, to the Security Council and to the world, uh, condemning Russia for what they were doing uh, in the Ukraine, re Ukraine right now. And she had the audacity to say, no people should be occupied. No people should have <laughs> to live under different rule. No people should have to worry Pinocchio about... I see the Pinocchio nose just <laughs> getting longer <laughs> and longer. Like you you could say that with a straight face that no con no people should have to live under occupation. No people should have to live with the threat of military force. No people should have to live by a government that they don't want. You have the audacity to say that, Ambassador Greenfield, at a time when when your, one, your claim of one of your strongest allies is practicing a vicious uh, kind of apartheid uh, for, for over 70 years now. Complaining so about, I, I, I about just, Russia, uh, uh, you know, being in Crimea when you bless Israel for annexing 100%. the 
Syrian Golan Heights. I mean, not exactly right, Jamal. Well, here this is why. Here is this is why when I heard Greenfield today, I I was sickened. Uh, I mean, we hear that we we listen to these double standards, these hypocrites in the Congress and in the State Department, and here you have the U.S. ambassador again uh, saying these what sound like really wonderful things, but why is it only the case for one group of people but not for the totality of people who are confronting this uh, uh, this grotesque uh, form of apartheid in Palestine right now? Well, here's the thing, just Israeli officials and surrogates right here in Congress would rather label anyone who calls out Israel for its apartheid practices as an anti-Semite rather then work towards dismantling apartheid. I mean, this is what they should be working on, you know. And we've seen that. This is what happened with South Africa. South Africa, the apartheid regime of South Africa, vilified all its critics until its regime came tumbling down. So Exactly. You know. We're in the same boat. And I think we're in the same absolutely that's a great analysis, Jamal. And I think we're in the same situation now. I mean, Ronald Reagan up until the bitter end, was defending apartheid South Africa at, at the time when the world was turning against it. And guess what? I have breaking news for all the uh, Israeli uh, Hasbaristas and all the members of Congress. You're on the wrong side of history. The entire world knows this. Anybody who believes in justice knows this. Israel is an apartheid state. And unless it is, its apartheid structure is dismantled, um, this form of grotesque uh, uh, apartheid will will only grow, and it will cause problems not just for Palestinians, but it's going to cause problems for for really the entire world. And I'll I'll just say it again, Jamal, because you know screaming anti-Semitism right now hurts all people who are who've been subjected to anti-Semitism. So this is this is actually the Israeli Hasbaristas making it more dangerous for for people. And uh, not 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 let it's making them more more unsafe. So it's it's really disturbing. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Uh, I'm going to shift gears here. Just uh, this is a, a topic that we'll keep talking about until absolutely the State Department absolutely. does something about this. You know, this is the murder of an 80 year old. Palestinian American. man, basically an American, Palestinian-American man uh, who basically was uh, blindfolded, uh, was strapped, uh, thrown face zip down tied. on the zip. Yeah, exactly. Zip uh, and the soldiers left him uncuffed. Uh, he was blindfolded and gagged, I, w- I should say. And then, and then he died. And then... Israel has been trying to kind of dance its way as usual around this by saying, well, you know, he's old, he might have had a heart attack. So recently an autopsy has been performed and it concluded that uh, Asad, his name, uh, died of a stress-induced sudden cardiac arrest due to external injuries. So now external injuries, yeah. not internal injuries. Yeah. Yes. So so now we have some evidence to 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 what happened to him and and meanwhile the united states has been saying you know uh, we're just going to investigate and asad uh, was a former milwaukee wisconsin resident 
who lived most of his life in in the in in uh, in the United States and decided about ten years ago to 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 return kind of after he retired and um, basically he has been murdered and so so further to this investigation and why I want to keep talking about it because this is not an anomaly this is not an accident this is not like you know. No, the battalion in charge, it's called the Kefir Infantry Brigade. I've been doing some homework on this because it really has bugged the hell out of me, made many of us very angry. Has been involved in several just killings, controversies, torture, beating, etc., regarding uh, violence uh, against Palestinian uh, detainees. And this is from the Israeli media. I'm not pulling this out of a from my hat, I've done my homework looking at to see what is this Kefir Brigade. You know, uh, for example, just last October, they've arrested, um, you know, a Palestinian and sexually assaulted this Palestinian in the back of a military vehicle after he was arrested. Okay. In 2019, five of its soldiers and their commanding officer were held uh, uh, um, who held the rank of a lieutenant were arrested yes. and placed on trial for severely beating a father and son whom they had detained. They were basically charged with aggravated, abused, and let go. Like, you know, they didn't serve any, any, any time. In 2015, a soldier serving the battalion was accused of attaching electro, uh, electro, electrodes to a Palestinian detainee's neck and, I remember that. And electrocuting him. I remember that. And when the detainee pleaded with him to stop, he increased the voltage. Several days later, uh, I think uh, he was admitted to the hospital and uh, in serious condition. I don't know exactly what happened to him. And the soldier was sentenced to seven months in prison, but he only served one month and six months uh, he served them at home. So this is the type of soldiers, Torture. occupation, occupation yeah. soldiers. So like when they try to say, well, it's an accident. Oh, they didn't know what happened to him, that maybe he was sick. Yeah, this yeah, was intentional. And these soldiers have a long record of committing basically war crimes against civilians. That's exactly right, Jamal. I would call it state-sponsored, state-supported torture against civilians, and they're getting away with murder. We're going to follow this story, Jamal. We're not going to let it rest. This well, is our, our ask to the State Department... Investigate. To investigate, to send a team, not to rely on Israeli investigators. They have to send an American team... This is an American citizen who was murdered. Send the FBI. And, Send the FBI. And not just sweep it under the rug, you know, as Absolutely. as we've seen in other cases like this. This is very important. We're not going to sweep this under the rug. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download our latest shows. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.